Hey everybody, welcome to the official Harmonics podcast. I'm your host this week, Fish McGill, and I have a few special guests with me. Some of them you may know, like yep. this guy. Ira Glass, <laughs> uh, here on a nice laid back, this Harmonics Life podcast. And is that Tina Fey next to you? Yes, yes, I believe it is. Is she a regular on NPR? I don't know. <laughs> no, she's, she's not. not. She I listen be. to NPR like it's my job. I know she's never on there. <laughs> I might listen to NPR if she was on there. Yeah, I. she's been on once in a while, like on Fresh Air, which is a show in Philadelphia. The host is named Terry Gross. I hear Paula Poundstone on NPR all the time. Yes, she like, is wait, on, wait, don't, wait, tell wait me. don't Tell Me. She's yeah. a regular guest. Yeah, she's pretty awful. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for making enemies here. She's not, yeah, not my speed. There's a lot of good stuff on NPR. Yeah. Quality, quality programming. Yeah. And it's free. Yeah. Can't beat that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's right before the new year, 2012. It's true. 2112. We, we got through a great Hanukkah. Yep. Just ended, what is it, yesterday? Yeah. Eight days of Rihanna. Yep. Rihanna went awesome. A lot of cool giveaways on Twitter, on the site. What else do we give stuff away? And live stream. We did the live stream. Live yeah. stream. We hadn't done the live stream at the last uh, at the last live stream or at the at the last podcast rather. Yeah. <sighs> Too many live streams and podcasts and newsletters and things to keep track of. It's been a busy end of the year. Very yes. busier than I expected. The live stream was a huge hit though. Um, we had done a we had done a Halloween live stream and we wanted to do something uh, for the holiday this year and also something that would benefit Child's Play, an awesome charity. Um, if you guys haven't already checked out uh, what we were doing for Child's Play, check out the announcement thread. should still be stickied right at the top there. We'll be tweeting a bunch of links out. Um, there's donate options in there for Child's Play, an excellent charity that benefits sick kids. Put, it puts uh, games and gaming systems in pediatric wards, children's hospitals, uh, family waiting rooms, um, and gets games to kids that don't have a ton of stuff to entertain them or a lot of stuff to look forward to. Um, so it's a, it's a great charity and we we're happy to help out. And, um, we did a, a live stream that had Q and a for rock band stuff and dance central stuff and vid rhythm stuff. Um, just like general harmonics type stuff. We did like a kind of a quick recruiting drive. Um, that's right. On air had Janet and Emily out, tell people about the jobs that are available. Um, we got all sorts of interviews with a bunch of the senior people at Harmonics, which was pretty rad. Brian Chan made an appearance. Yeah, yeah. the one and only. An honorary Regopolis, he claims. <laughs> <laughs> That's no small feat. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we had some, some goofy live playthrough stuff, too. Uh, and at the end of the day, we raised almost $4,000 for Child's Play, which was a huge success. Um, we, uh, we're still kind of like dipping our toes into the live stream, so we, we didn't really know what to expect. But I think this exceeded all our expectations. It was really fun, too, just running around, playing the game, and seeing how many people were watching it the whole time, too. Yeah. It's like, oh, people are watching this. And you would walk around the office, like, when it was going on, and you would see it on everybody's screen. Yeah. Like I walked by finance, I walked by art. And people were staying late just to watch it while they worked. Yeah, and and to come by, too. We had probably... I mean, I'd guess at least 40 people from the department that either like came by and did interviews with us or just hung out and kind of like called out song requests from the back room while they were eating pizza and drinking. And then yeah. a bunch of people just kind of like drifted through, just like poked their heads in like, hey, what's up? Oh, don't mind me. Just the CEO. Just want to see what's going <laughs> on down here. Yeah. I mean, I hope this isn't like a humble brag, but it, 
it really kind of showed what a cool place this is to work. It's like, you see that all the time, but it's like, holy cow, everybody came out of the woodworks for this. Yeah. Or it was on their radar. Yeah. Which doesn't always happen with, you know, events that we do. Yeah, that's definitely true. And in both sides of the fence, true, uh, too, like internally and among the community, like there's some stuff that the community is really into that harmonics as a whole is not involved with. And then there's stuff that we totally get excited about that doesn't really resonate with the community. And I think this was that perfect cross-section where like everyone in the community was excited and asking questions. And we used their questions to drive the interviews that we did on the yeah. air. Um, we had a ton of uh, a ton of stuff going on in the live stream, Christine and Jessa were moderating the live stream as it was as it was happening, like the comments and discussions there. Um, and we were able to incorporate a lot of that stuff into the show, like questions that came in via Twitter or via the live chat. Um, and then there's like two huge threads on the forums, like 25,000 views between the two of them, yeah. just discussing the live stream uh, and then like speculating as to which tracks are coming out for the artists that we announced. And we announced- Which Hall and Oates songs will it be? We announced a few, yeah. We've got Hall and Oates that we've announced, um, all all acts coming uh, coming next year. Uh, Hall and Oates, Huey Lewis in the News, and Bush uh, will each have a three-pack coming to Rock Band uh, early in 20, uh, 2012. Um, and LMFAO, uh, we confirmed for, for Dance Central, which that is was a, that no small feat. Got people pretty riled up. Yeah, people were super excited about that. Yeah. People were actually really excited. Jess and I were surprised to see people were going nuts over the Rihanna announcement. Yeah. But we had announced it that morning. And as soon as we said it in the live stream, the live stream chat blew up. People were so excited. Nice. I was like, we already told you this. But yeah, excited for Rihanna. Yeah. I think we take for granted sometimes that like not all of the community is watching yes. Twitter or Facebook or Rock Band. There's a lot of people that are like totally plugged in every second of every day. But right. Doesn't doesn't hurt to remind people every once in a while. You know, I thought about, you know, we were basically making a TV show, and I don't think people making shows get to interact immediately with their fans in that same way. That's definitely true. That directly. You know, I grew up as an indoor kid, essentially, so I was obsessed with all this behind-the-scenes stuff. And that's kind of what I think of as our jobs. We're, like, the, the special features of harmonics games, and we kind of, like, show you how it's made and all the people behind here. It's like... <laughs> Wow, that's a job. That's just what I like doing anyway. That's awesome. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. That, that extra features on your movies. That's who we are as people. Disc two. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking during the live stream as I was writing questions on the whiteboard that came in via Twitter, the only thing I could think about was um, The Walking Dead and the Talking Dead TV show that Chris yeah. Harwick hosts. Talking Dead. And I mean, he gets like call-ins and stuff. I was like, we're hosting our own call-in show right now. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, it also gives us the opportunity to kind of like course correct in real time uh, yeah. where if like for whatever reason like an interview is a dud or people aren't excited about a thing that we're talking about like that can change drastically depending on what people in the community are saying or what kind of questions they're asking um, so uh, I, I think the timing worked out really well where like you would throw stuff up on the whiteboard as it would come in it would be like kind of be stretching a question out for a little <laughs> bit longer and then it's like oh well wait there's something new on the whiteboard let's cut to that um, and it, it it allowed us to stay really flexible. And how about John's dancing? He <laughs> is a dancing machine. Unbelievable. Like a lot of people give him flack for that, but he is he is on point. Yeah, Diet Coke needs a special thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like that dance was brought to everyone by Diet Coke yeah. completely. Yeah, it's essentially rocket fuel for him. Yeah. Like he is <laughs> wired 24-7. Yeah, I've never seen him with caffeine other than that too. 
But no, no, he's he's pretty like when we're on the road and like a restaurant only has Diet Pepsi or like God forbid just regular Coke, like he winces, like he's like <laughs> visibly pained when they suggest that he drink anything other than Diet Coke. First thing in the morning too, like we'll have breakfast like in a hotel at seven in the morning before before a crazy day. Like give me give me two Diet Coke. Oh, yeah, I used to. I <laughs> loved that. That was my favorite soda as a kid. Yep, that was the best. I gave it up though. No, are you soda free? I'm soda free. Wow. Uh, now that when I have it, it's like kind of hurts your stomach when you don't have it for a while. Yeah. But I'll still have a cream soda once in a while. You're good. Goes down smooth. Oh yeah. Or birch beer. We should do another. Uh, we should do another Bev Pert. It's been yes. a long time. <laughs> yeah, we should call K Fan. Bring K Fan over. Talk to him. Should do another uh, root beer float party. Oh, we definitely should. <laughs> I've. Uh, I actually. This is. This is an embarrassing window into my. Uh, into my personal life. Um. I've. Uh, <laughs> I've been yes. <laughs> cleaning out uh, a bunch of boxes as uh, as I continue to settle into my new apartment, which is your old apartment, Fish. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, it's in good hands. <laughs> and I found a stack of uh, labels from root beer bottles that wow. I had been collecting for a while. Because I would, like whenever we were on the road, or I would like go on vacation with my family or whatever, like try to get like whatever weird regional uh, root beers they had. Be like, oh, this is Thomas Kemper's. This is really good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold on to this label. I want to remember what this is like. So I, like peel it off and save it. And then, like after a while, you start to get like a stack of like ten different labels. And now it's wow. like, what, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> Same old soda labels. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna go online and I'm gonna try to find out uh, if I can order a bunch of them and get a, a nice sampler in the office. They have little ratings on the back. Did you put no, notes that's, or anything? I, I should. I've, I've got pretty good recall for stuff like that. Like I can yeah. check it out and be like, oh, Tower Root Beer. I remember I got that at Red Bones. I was out to lunch with Sean Baptiste and Durlax when he came to visit. Had a nice honey flavor to it. <laughs> Went well with a pecan pie. That's a vivid memory. Yeah. I so didn't you, even know there were regional root beers. You don't forget a good root beer like that. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff. Like, I, mean, I thought a lot it was of regional like IBC and A&W. And then... No. That's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think root beer maybe so root beer maybe more so than any other uh, any other soda has like so many weird different splinters where some of it's like really really bitter and some of it is really really sweet. Uh, I bet it has a really awesome history to it. Yeah, you know I would. Hey, this American Life. If you're actually listening to our show, this would be a great. This is a very this American Life episode. <laughs> you know, I, all the investigative reporting you do. Uh, yeah, that's great, but. I usually don't listen to those. <laughs> so, did you know that there's a root beer brewing kit on uh, on ThinkGeek? I've uh, I have owned at one point uh, or another really? a root beer, yeah, a DIY root beer kit that is on my Christmas list. Yep. I'm wow. Hoping for it. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should we should come full circle because I know earlier this year we talked to Nick about brewing his own beer beer. Right. And we should now uh, we should now come around and something for the non-alcoholics. Uh, People that brew their own root beer beer. I wonder if people brew non-alcoholic beer. Oh, like, yeah. If there's, that's a thing. There's got to be. Is there a scene for that? <laughs> there's got to be a thing out there. There's got to be a scene. I'm sure. We're, yeah, getting, no, no, we're, we're getting an official shaking it off. shake, shaking of it no off. from Nick. All right. Who was um, also at the charity event and killed it, yeah. running the yeah. sound for us. Yep. Him and, him and sound going on. ran a tweet ship. <laughs> they did. Uh, had awesome sound. Uh, had... Some fantastic video cuts. Yeah. We had all sorts of effects. We're stepping it up. 
we're coming to we're coming into our own live stream wise. It's fun. Twenty twelve. Yeah. It's gonna be our year. We're gonna see more of that. Yep. So I wanted to ask you guys, uh, what was your favorite part of the live stream? Um, I uh, I told uh, I told Eric Brocious um, that he was uh, that he was my favorite part, and that's true. <laughs> that was really um, cool. I caught all of that. He uh, and I felt kind of bad because we we opened with that, like we did a, a quick little like rock band Q and A, um, and then jumped right into the interview with Brocious because he had to punch out early, um, and we had a bunch of other dudes from audio as well. We had both the Pardos, um, and we had uh, Caleb Wheeler, um, and they hung out and they all like goofed around for like. I think we ran over our time. We had like 15 minutes and we probably did like 20 or 25 minutes with them uh, because like every answer was so good and everything was so funny. Um, and Eric is like, not not what I would consider like a wild man at harmonics. <laughs> like there's a bunch of people who are like totally off the wall and he's like, he's kind of like the straight man in the room. Uh, but he like, he threw a couple zingers at me during that interview that totally threw me for a loop. <laughs> Uh, where people were asking, like, if we have emergency DLC that we hold, um, like, just in case, like, um, an artist backs out at the last minute or there's a submission issue um, or something that prevents us from releasing, like, regularly scheduled DLC. And he's like, oh, yeah, we've got, like, this huge stack of Muse DLC. It's just, like, <laughs> piles of it uh, just for a rainy day, you know, just for an emergency. Probably probably won't release it anytime soon, though. And it's just like like all the blood just drained right out of my face. Muse is great. Like, they have introduced me to what being old feels like. Oh, yikes. <laughs> I've never, I never had heard of them until our rock band fans were clamoring for them. Yeah. Popular with the whippersnappers. Yeah. I am so out was... of that scene. <laughs> So that was that was uh, that was my my favorite bit. We we started off really strong with that. What about you? What was your favorite? It's just a small moment, but when uh, Helen came by to do her interview with Annette uh, for Dance Central stuff, she's standing behind the scenes and watching everything going on, like taking a look at that schedule board we had, and like Pope and, and Nick hanging out behind the scenes, and like everybody you know hanging out and doing and playing, and like the scene switches of like moving the rock band stuff. And she looks at me and goes. This is better run than most telethons I've seen. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that that makes me feel good because we kind of cool. we we planned so much, and I had felt like we did so much planning this time that I knew at any moment something was going to go horribly wrong, yeah. and that never happened all night. <laughs> and so yeah. for her to to see like, "Oh, this is going really well," like, made me feel good. But I couldn't actually. I wish I had been able to hear more stuff going on, but from where I was sitting on the computer trying to cue you guys with questions i can only hear snippets of the actual interviews because the like rock band and dance central setup was yeah. so loud yeah um but if i put on the headphones because of like a time delay on the the live stream i couldn't hear i couldn't tell what was going on because yeah, <laughs> that was so much right. further behind um so it's a little confusing so i don't actually have too many memories of the actual live stream more of the <laughs> production and the guests coming and That's going awesome. <laughs> i loved seeing how it all worked you know, I've always been curious, like, how do they do this? How do you run a TV show? And and seeing the board that you guys came up with for all the guests and you had questions prepared. It's like, wow, there's a lot that went into this. Yeah. And very, very uncommon for our team. Historically. <laughs> like we have we have always been very scrappy and very reflexive, um, which kind of like helps keep us on our toes for sure. Uh, but I, I think that that was something that if people didn't consciously notice it for the Halloween live stream, there was definitely kind of a sense of like, 
they probably don't know what they're doing next. <laughs> and like that is that is very true. Like, but we more, learned more from often that, than not. and That's we did. Right. We, we learned from that, and and I think that this was leaps and bounds better than the Halloween show. Um, and and like you said, there were no major explosions, like no. barely even minor speed bumps, where it'd be like, oh my god, it is exactly seven o'clock, and the seven o'clock appointment is oh on the other side of the room. That's, yep. Oh, every single guest showed up on over. time, even. At, and when I say on time, I mean the five minutes early I asked them to show up. They showed up five minutes yep. early. Everybody was there. Everybody was excited. Um, they, I think only one interview ran a little over. And yep. then we just recovered with like less gameplay in between. Um, but I was stunned. I, I really was waiting for something to go horribly wrong <laughs> all <sure>. night. <laughs> yeah, anyone that has to run anything with this much production work... And I mean, like, this is our job. Like, we we spent <laughs> days on this, and we had a team of people working on it, and we were juggling like all the other stuff at the same time, like yeah. content, and newsletters, and podcasts, and uh, and the forums, and Twitter, and Facebook. Yep. Um, but like, people that do this, like, just as volunteer work, um, and sign up for like a child's play event, or like the dudes at Desert Bus, um, like they do that, but for like three days straight. Like, <laughs> like 72 consecutive hours. I think my heart just skipped a beat. <laughs> um, and, and we have, like, a, t- a ton of guys in uh, in the community that have reached out to us, and we've supported them, like, with swag or, uh, like, promoting their Child's Play fundraisers. That's right. And they'll do, like, 24-hour drum marathons or, like, all-day-long rock band parties. Um, and that's, like, a huge undertaking. So my, my hat goes off to those guys. Like, it, is, it is definitely a labor of love. Absolutely. So we'll uh we'll make sure that that we bump uh the uh, the child's play uh, donation links again. Um, if we can't throw them in with the podcast, we'll make sure that we uh we tweet and post about the uh the live stream thread, the first thread, as often as we can to make sure that gets plenty of visibility. Because as much fun as we had and like all the cool stuff that we did and all the things that we announced, it was definitely for child's play. So everyone, please check them out if you have a minute. It should be childsplay.org. Um, should be links all over the forums. Uh, should be able to search Child's Play, and it even comes up first as a Google search ahead of the movie with Chucky. Like that's <laughs> that's how big a deal Child's Play is. They raised over two million dollars this year. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Amazing. I was looking at that. It was at one point nine five during our thing. Yeah, and I they surpassed it this week. Yep. So right. it's a, a great great charity run by a great great group of guys. Um, Penny Arcade is heavily involved. I'm sure a lot of uh, a lot of people in the community know them. So do what you can to get involved. And they're not for profit, is that right? Correct. Yeah. So all that money is going right directly to kids. Directly to kids. So like maybe a so kid they can roll around in piles of money. <laughs> a kid that's like waking up and he had like crazy surgery on his legs. Like Eric Pope. Yeah. Like <laughs> someone like Eric Pope who just had a polyp worked on. Yeah. In his sinuses. We are we are flying Pope free in uh in this podcast. Uh, he is uh, he is out recovering from surgery. So everyone should please wish at Mr. Pope on Twitter well wishes and a speedy recovery. Please do it, so we can smell and taste things again. It's a much more low key without our smokehouse host. Yeah. You yeah. know, I I just noticed a minute ago the lights went off because there's a sensor in here because you know we're <laughs> we're good with conserving energy at harmonics. Um, and that would never happen with Pope and John in the room. <laughs> no, there's a lot of wild gesticulation. Yeah, while they're in the room. Yeah, they're they're very movement oriented. Animated gentlemen. Yep. 
we have a uh, do we have some announcements to run down on a uh... we had some stats from the show that we were gonna talk yeah, about from the I, live stream i brought these in case people didn't get a chance to watch the live stream um you know because it's some end of year stats that we pulled about what you guys are playing in rock band three um we have a bunch of different lists, but uh, probably some of the most interesting ones are your your top played DLC songs. Um, should I just run them down top ten style? Yeah, all right. yeah let's hear it. Uh, number ten was Blink 182's "All the Small Things." Uh, number nine is Linkin Park's "Numb." Uh, then we have a double dose of Avenged Sevenfold with "Bat Country" and "Afterlife." Uh, Dragon Force through the fire and the flames. Apparently, you guys are really trying to beat that guitar <laughs> part. Um, another Avenged Sevenfold song with "Nightmare." Uh, Boston's more than a feeling. Linkin Park's yes. In the End. Uh, number two is Evanescence's Bring Me to Life. And number one is Journey's Don't Stop Believing. All right. Are any of those RBN tracks? Um, uh, there's a separate list for uh, for RBN. That and, yeah, they're just, I don't think they're, uh, I think these were all DLC songs. I'm yeah. not sure if they included yeah. RBN or not. Um, it's a pretty awesome spread, though. Like, there's yeah. um, like some uh, some more uh, more metal-tastic stuff with, um, with Avenged Sevenfold and, and Dragon Force, but, like, the classic rock in Boston and like the arena rock type stuff of Journey. Evanescence is not like any of those other bands. Mm. Um, like it's it's kind of and then like pop punk with Blink One Eighty Two. Like there's there's yeah. definitely a good uh, a good range of stuff from like seventies seventies uh, to current uh, of all different genres. It's really it's reassuring to see that there's not as much consistency. Like it would be really boring if you looked at it and it's like. Oh, it's just classic rock, mm. I guess. Oh, <laughs> it's just '80s pop songs. Yeah, that'd be a great playlist to play. Yeah, yeah, be pretty yeah, hard. <laughs> yeah, that Avenged Sevenfold Dragon Force block in there. That would, that would be where I tap out. Yeah, yeah. Now I've I've actually looking at this list. I've probably played this playlist yeah. before. <laughs> this is about what That's I. That's probably in yeah, band. pretty pretty reflective of your DLC. It is. It is actually <laughs> looking at it. Yep. Um, so we do have the RBN list, nice. um, which is, uh, number 10 is All That Remains Hold On. Uh, number nine is A Day to Remember, I'm Made of Wax, Larry, What Are You Made Of? Which is one of the longest song titles in the game. Yep. Um, uh, Creed's Higher, Attack Attacks, Stick Stickly. Um, another A Day to Remember song, All I Want. Uh, Asking Alexandria's A Prophecy. Um, Evanescence appears on this list too with Going Under. Uh, another attack attack song with Smokehauntus, uh, asking Alexandria the final episode. Let's change the channel. And the number one uh, played RBN song this year was Drowning Pools Bodies. Nice. Oh yeah, that parrot song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. The parrot song. <laughs> I heard this on the radio the other day, and I actually the first thing I thought of was that parrot video. <laughs> April Fool's Day classic. Yep. That was good. <laughs> yeah. Parrot was artist of the month in April for a day. That yep, is for true. A day. Never forget. Is it uh, Lolita? Lola? Lola. Lola. Yeah, Something Lola, like that. Yeah. Um, it's awesome to see so many uh, so many bands of like a higher profile uh, in RBN. And so it's, it's not surprising that those were the bands that rose to the top, but those are also bands that are getting like great support from their labels. Like yeah. even yeah. if they're not like, you know, absolutely huge juggernaut labels, like they're labels that really believe in their artist and really put like a ton of muscle behind them. Um, and I think it's a, a good a good lesson to any band in uh, in RBN. Like you've got to promote that stuff. Like work as hard as you can. Like make sure you get the word out there because like all those bands and all those uh, all those labels like have promoted that stuff. Like we've seen tweets and posts on Facebook from from a ton of them like telling people that like hey go buy our stuff ASAP. Mm. So keep yelling, people will hear you. Do it. 
So one of the cool things that I just thought of, like you did this top 10 list. Now we have this great Facebook dashboard app, the Rockman dashboard, where you can see like what the top 10 most requested bands are. And you have points to vote on which bands you want to see. Yeah. So you could spread them out into your 10 favorite bands or weight all your points onto Muse and make sure they stay <laughs> on the top of the list. Yeah. Are they yeah. still at the top? They're at the top right now. Um, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin have been going back and forth for two and three. Interesting. Um, I think the most interesting thing that, from what I'm looking at the list is that five of the bands that are on the list already have at least one song in the game. Hmm. Uh, so it looks like people want more stuff from the bands they like yep. that are already in there. We're not total screw-ups. <laughs> <laughs> we do all right we sometimes. We do know what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and people would like to know, I know I've seen a lot of people posting on the forums and on Facebook asking how much this list actually uh, influences DLC. We are listening. That list was actually sent to our music team today so that they could take a look and see what you guys are asking for. So even if you are just one person and you were the only person that put that band on the list, it's in front of our music team. And that's a great question, you know, because it's like, you don't want to be throwing your requests into a void. Yeah, yeah we're like, looking at them. It's not always it, just because we're looking at it doesn't mean we can get DLC. There's yeah. a lot of factors that go into it. Do wish it worked like a jukebox, but so unfortunately, unfortunately, that's not the case. But we do like. I mean, we're looking at the we're looking at the Rock Band dashboard. Um, we're looking at um, the RockBand.com/slash request suggestions that come yep. in. Ultimate set list stuff that people mention on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Though that's a lot harder to calculate. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting. We should maybe do something um, once uh, once the dashboard gets out of beta where we look at how the rockman.com requests stack up against uh, the dashboard requests. Yeah. Because even though Muse is like number one on the dashboard, they're not in the top 10 requested bands through no. rockman.com slash request. No. Nope. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see like, oh, well, people like using Facebook gravitate towards this and then people on the forums are actually requesting this. Um, it, it kind of it helps to filter through the noise a lot. Yeah. And the, the really helpful thing with the dashboard app is that because all of the bands are uh, like the band titles, their names are built into the app. We don't have as many misspellings yes. as we do. So it used to take forever to sort through the rockband.com slash request spreadsheet because people would spell band names 17 different ways. Yeah, we said last mm. time there were 25 different variations for Led Zeppelin. That, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. It's uh, hard to spell. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is a really hard band name to spell. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that this is actually a lot cleaner, um, and it gives us a quicker look at it, even though we are still looking at the other stuff. Yep. It just takes longer to parse. And uh, and where can people find that? The fastest way is to go to Facebook.com/slash/RockBand mm-hmm. and then download it from uh, um, download the app. I think I'm not sure if it's linked there yet. It, you can go to apps.facebook.com/slash/RockBand dashboard, all one word, um, and you can go there. Um, or uh, I think we'll have it as a tab on the Rock Band Facebook page soon. Sweet. And it's a, it's listed as one of the favorites on the sidebar of the Rock Band Facebook page, too. Yes. Cool. A couple different options. Yes. Yeah. So should we move on to this week's DLC coming out? Yeah. Something we've announced. It's a great end to the year. It's been yeah. an awesome year of DLC. Yeah, it's something that we've been teasing for a while, too, both intentionally and unintentionally. <laughs> yeah, we teased it during the live stream. We've teased it other times. We've maybe mentioned it. Yeah, it was not uh, there on was, purpose. There was a, a mention in uh, in the, the last um, press release for this band, and then um, a brief store mishap uh, where it was propped roughly a month before it 
was supposed to be announced? Oops. <laughs> well, here it is. It's from Rush's fourth studio album, 2112. We have three tracks, each with pro upgrades. Here we go. These names are kind of crazy. Overture Temple of Syrinx is the first track. Oracle, the dream, the soliloquy, grand finale, and discovery. So we have all three tracks with pro upgrades available. I believe that's all of a, like it's a, it's a suite, isn't it? Like it's yeah. a, yeah, like a each track is yeah. actually a couple of tracks. And then I think on Xbox and PS3, maybe you can, you can get the yeah, whole track kind of as like medley one, style. Yeah, yeah. one big medley, Overture. play the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. there's going to be, um, everyone should pay especially close attention to, to this DLC release more so than they usually do because the bundling is so varied. And it's also a unique release because it's not coming out on Tuesdays um, as, uh, as, as DLC usually does. Um, where uh, the, the plan is to release this DLC for New Year's. Um, so you can ring in 2112 with Rush's 21, or you can ring in... They're <laughs> 100 years it. early. I've been teasing it the other way around for so long. Ring in 2012 with Rush's 2112. It's kind of like the unofficial uh, unofficial tagline. Um but uh, but yeah, there's there's a couple different variations and a couple um, uh, a couple differences in the release date and like how the bundling works on 360 versus PS3 versus Wii. Mm-hmm. I know that there's going to be some options where you can download um, the full suite uh, as a medley and then also select those individual tracks and also get the pro upgrades included in that purchase. Um, and that your mileage may vary depending on which console you're on. So pay especially close attention to the pricing and the bundling uh, bundling options. And the dates, everything, everything is <laughs> Just crazy. Pay attention. Everything is crazy for holidays. Uh, we are getting daily updates from uh, Sony and Nintendo and Microsoft saying, "Oh, this is coming out on this date." Oh no, it's not. Oh, it's not coming out at all. Oh wait, it's it's already out. No, you know, it's coming out tomorrow. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> yeah. So um, everyone's everyone's spread a little bit thin during the holidays. So we should hopefully have all the DLC kinks ironed out early next year. Yes. And, you know, we hope everyone had an awesome holiday playing some new Dance Central 2 at home or some perhaps rock band from Games on Demand. And if you're playing Dance Central 2, I know Annette's not here to talk about it, uh, but you should uh, try out fitness mode and try out the playlists and check out our fitness giveaway we're running on dancecentral.com and through Facebook and Twitter. We're giving away a crazy swag pack with Dance Central, uh, a hoodie, a T-shirt, a backpack, a water bottle, all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You um, can see me modeling that on dancecentral.com, right? <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Yep. Doing right. a sweet lunge and a Superman good. pose with a nice boomy t shirt. Yeah. My yeah. uh my my hammies are still burning from that lunge. <laughs> <laughs> I need to check out fitness mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fitness mode's great, especially in January when you know, no one in their right mind should go to a gym yep. because it's too crowded. It's too crowded. Go in February when they're all gone. it'll get you ready for being in gym ready shape yeah well that's that's the point we're doing the giveaway you can take before and after pictures of you getting fit with dance central 2 um and you know share your story of how you're using dc2 to get fit and uh we'll pick people randomly to win some sweet prizes yes it's gonna be great yeah good stuff so at the second half of the show we have this great interview that pope did with greg lapiccolo in our 
continuing harmonics interview series talking about the history of rock band and Gilo has some great stories about getting rock band out the door and some surprise inside tales that didn't necessarily make the cut for the videos that Pope put together this year. Yeah, yeah, there's some awesome stuff. And I think it clocks in around around a half an hour. Yes. Maybe a little bit longer. Um, we got tons of awesome content and wish we could have put it all in uh, those videos that Pope put together for the four-year. Um, but it's it's really neat to be able to bring them out in the, uh, in the podcast and give people the the long-form interviews. Yeah. How about Pope this year with the videos? Like, he really turned it out. One-man media team. Um, Incredible. I, I think that we'll, um, if, if not by the time this goes live, then shortly we'll have uh, like a 2011 wrap-up on rockband.com in the yep. blog um, with, a, with a full rundown of like how many videos we put together this year, how many interviews we did, how many events we attended, days we spent on the road, um, forum growth, all sorts of crazy stuff. Like we're we're looking at a lot of different stats. Um, I think uh, I think people will will be pleasantly surprised. I know that it's kind of staggering for me when we look at all that stuff and say like, oh, we did this all in one year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we hit a, a lot, lot of milestones this year. Yeah, we definitely did a lot of growth. Good times. Yeah, positive good year. growth. It's good. Yeah, benign growth. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Ugh. laughs> <Ugh>, sorry. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Polyps. That's for Pope. Swim better, polyps, homie. <laughs> I'll pour one out for the polyp over here. <laughs> all right, nice. so that that's all for this week. Unless you guys have anything else, any last minute zingers? No. Nope. Merry, merry, happy, happy, happy New Year, everybody. Thanks a lot. So we're here to discuss the four-year anniversary of Rock Band as a franchise. So put yourself. Where you were four years ago, um, November 20th was when Rock Band 1 came out, so we're shortly before launch. What were you feeling at that time? Oh, well, the short answer is I have no idea. I don't remember at all. Um, but if I were to fabricate something, sure. <laughs> um, uh, what I, well, what, the main thing I remember about the launch period was like Rock Band was like the biggest thing we had ever bitten off and it had all these new components that like things that we had never done before specifically um, the the hardware because we, we had designed it kind of in-house from the ground up we hired an industrial designer and we had this you know uh, uh, manufacturing liaison specialist in China and we sent Daniel Sussman to China to figure out how to make plastic guitars and so forth and we were like completely terrified you know that this stuff would come off the boats in time and that it would work properly and uh, so most of it what I remember was this mad scramble about wrapping up all the little details of like all the different things that had to be in the big box you know um, it, it, and you know, it was just consumed with that. You know, basically, you know, just just trying to make sure that the launch wasn't like a like a, a smoking hole. You know, that we would actually get the stuff to market and that people would be able to play. Was it a process of sort of like learning something new every week? Like we'd never manufactured any anything, especially on this scale, uh, to be to to learn this whole new portion of 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 manufacturing and getting it out on time with the game. Yeah, I mean, just the degree of, I mean, it was all in the service of this sort of mad plan where it was like, hey, it's fun to be in a rock band. Let's uh, let's make a game where, you know, what we knew that the, the basic mechanic worked because we had worked on Guitar Hero and that was had, had you know, seen success already. But um, 
you know, just trying to capture that sense because, you know, myself among like many folks here, like we either were in bands or are in bands and there's just something so special about that, you know, just everybody like cranking away together at high volume and that sort of camaraderie, you know, that's really just in the moment. It's such, such a special thing. And, uh, and I, you know, I think we had that shared passion of trying to capture that uh, and bring it to a, into a bigger audience, but it was really not at all clear that it would work. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, a lot of it just in terms of bringing it to market, like the design, I thought we had to cut some stuff late. Um, that we, there was there was this hope that we would have a much you know deeper sort of online um, interaction. Like it wasn't. It's funny. It seems weird in retrospect, but it wasn't obvious to us. I think at the time that it was going to be a party game, and there was going to be this like social thing. I think we had this vision of it. it's like people would have virtual bands online, and you know, and and. You meet up with their online friends, you know, which all of which kind of happened to some degree, but not nearly. That wasn't really ended up the focus. We ended up being much more some social party, family kind of thing. Um, I don't actually remember the question. Oh, you were asking me about um, uh, what, what, what it was like to ship it. Yeah, so you know, so the so the game actually came together, and I think we were proud of the game and so forth. And then it was, yeah, really in terms of what I was thinking about, it was all logistics. It was like stuff. There was all these like crazy little things that had to be dealt with, like the, um, I think it was the drums. We needed. Hang on, I'll, I'll remember it. There was like issues about like how much current the peripherals could draw from the Xbox. And if it was over the limit, then you needed an, ad an AC adapter, which had to be UL listed, and that was like a, you know, a whole process. And in fact, they, they took more, they drew more milliamps of current than the Xbox could sustain. So we needed, you know, um, and and we wanted maybe wireless, but the wireless chipset wasn't complete yet. Like you could, like there wasn't an Xbox wireless chipset that you could use, uh, you know. So the Xbox could be wireless, although the some of the other, you know, I think it was. I think there was the PS3 was wireless out of the gate, wasn't yeah, it? Right. Yeah. So you know, but then there was issues with the boxes because some had to have wires and AC adapters, and others didn't. And anyway, it was uh, yeah, that was it for me. It was like solving tons of tiny little problems that we didn't even know existed until we dug into it. Um, and your role at Harmonix was it such that you had to be overseeing? GH2 while you were also overseeing Rock Band's development, or were, were you not, sort of just on one? Not directly, because that was the, the the last game that we did here where I wore two hats, where I was like he, you know heading up product development and also the project director on Rock Band, which was difficult. Uh, but Guitar Hero 2 was uh, was Daniel Sussman was heading that up, and that was actually ran incredibly smoothly, is my recollection is. I would play it occasionally, but you know it was, uh, um, it, you know, that it ran really smooth. It was like one of the least problematic titles we've ever shipped out of here. Like it went great. So, what was it like for you to have to create a game that competed with a franchise you had already created? Well, like people asked us about that. It's like, well, what was it like to do, you know, rock band, Guitar Hero, and then we did rock band and so forth. And in the moment, I mean, it's like life, you know, kind of like hands you a, you know, a hand, and then you like play the hand you're dealt. And that was the way, that was just the way it was. Like we didn't own the Guitar Hero IP, and when that became valuable, it got purchased by Activision, and you know, it became pretty apparent that we didn't want to, you know, that it wasn't, 
like developing that for them was not the best use of our time, you know, and then MTV got interested in us and so forth. So I think for me, like my attitude was like, hey, like, like, okay, we have this opportunity to take it to the next level and make this game, like the rock band game, which really was, you know, for me so much, like it had so many more aspects of, uh, like it covered so much more ground than, than Guitar Hero, which was cool, but it was really just about, you know, this kind of guitar simulator thing. Whereas, like Rock Band, not only did it do vocals and drums and bass, but all the interactions between them. So it was a much bigger design space and much more interesting. Um, and so, like, I think my attitude, and I think generally our attitude, was just like, oh, we had, we had an opportunity to do it. We described it. We pitched it to MTV. They said, sure, let's do it, and off we went. Were you? Can you say if you were gonna? Was the initial plan for the next Guitar Hero game after GH2 to have been a full, game, full band game anyway, if you were going to continue with that franchise? It must have been. I mean, I, I, I think that, like, like, I don't actually remember is the, is the honest answer. I remember, like, as, as early as possible, we started working on drum gameplay because it seemed obvious that we should come up with drum gameplay. But I think in terms of the franchise and the brand and how it brought, was, you know, I think that that was, like, all stuff that we figured out after the fact. I think there was a time period where we were even thinking about like maybe there's Drum Hero, and there's not a band game that we like figure out drum gameplay and it's a standalone thing and we glue them together later. It's you know there was all kinds of different ideas that bounced around, um, and I <laughs> the timeline about how they came together is, is lost lost to me. Cool. Um, so was there a point in development when you achieved that goal of like you said you sort of the idea with Rock Band was was the fun of playing together as a as a band was it pretty apparent from the beginning, or was there a moment like further into development that it finally started clicking? And you're like, oh my god, this is fun! I'm playing with a guitar player and a drummer and a singer. There, yes, there was. Uh, I don't know if there was a moment, but I remember a process that went from like it not being fun to it being fun. Where early on, um, there was a lot of issues, you know, because because the first thing we we built the drums and then. Uh, we already had some sort of design insights about vocals because we did the karaoke games for Konami early, uh, earlier on um, that we glued it all together, right, where we had the four kind of track types and we could hook up four controllers and so forth. And I remember there was a period early on, like when we first switched it on, it was pretty obvious that it was like four solo games that had, had no relationship to each other. It was like four people staring at the screen in the same room, but it wasn't a band. And then we had all this design work to do to figure out how to glue them together, you know, how to make people aware of each other and how to, you know, like have a, like a, a shared experience. Uh, and then once we did that work and it be started to become a shared experience, then I think we, were, we started to get excited. Great. Um, do you, can you recall, was there, initial, was there an initial pitch for Rock Band that you can remember how you reacted to that? Or was it just always sort of the natural progression from what you were doing? Oh, I think it was completely natural. It was like, this is the next step, you know, okay, the Guitar Hero thing, okay, people seem to be willing to buy that. What else can we do in this space? Oh, rock bands, those are cool. Drums are cool. We should be able to figure that out. You know, let's just keep going and to try to turn it into the whole thing. You know? And there was no discussion of, of any other vastly different project you could have done at the point after, after you joined MTV Games. Was there ever any discussion like, oh, we could do this? totally different idea or we could do a rock band or was it always just we're gonna do rock band i you know it's funny because i <laughs> um i'm a little hesitant because because i don't you know because other people could have like 
more accurate memory of it than me. And like my memory of it is not particularly accurate, but what I seem to remember was that it was always going to be rock band and that that was kind of what we were talking to MTV about while they bought us. Like that's kind of like why they bought us or you know, is that might not actually be true, but that's my memory of it is that that we're like, "Hey, you should buy us and then we'll do this rock band game and it'll be awesome," you know. And 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 that they, you know, they got excited about that. Cool. Makes sense. Um, so can you say how the decision was arrived upon to give the oversight of this entire giant manufacturing mechanism to Dan Sussman? <laughs> um, let's see. How did Daniel get the manufacturing gig? He, um, I don't know. It's like a lot of stuff that happens here. Um, we, we, he was available. Um, he was committed. To, uh, you know, and he did an awesome job on Guitar Hero 2. He, he had basically done an awesome job on everything we gave him up to that point. And, uh, you know, he was unmarried <laughs> and, and willing to travel to China. And, uh, you know, so it was pretty much like, you, you, get on a plane. Go figure it out. Which he did. You know, to his enormous credit, you know, he actually went like knowing zero about manufacturing, and you know, he and John Hayes and Andy, all you know, all those guys, and uh, you know, and then subsequently, you know, Todd and Matt Bach and so forth. It's like we went from nothing to like a very impressive little industrial design organization that like made millions and millions and millions of plastic instruments. Cool. Um, so everyone, so a lot of crazy things have happened during during the lifespan, the ongoing lifespan of the Rock Band franchise. Uh, everyone kind of has at least one good story. I wonder if you have any good stories you can you can recall from things that maybe you were able to do or see because of Rock Band that otherwise you never would have. <laughs> there was a there was a weird thing that happened, and I don't even know if this is probably gonna like like not make the final cut. But for me, it was significant because, like, you're like I spent ten years in a you know in a, in a band you know with uh, Eric Brocious, our audio director, and some other folks. Um, and, you know, so I played live a lot. I went on tour and so forth. And when we debuted Rock Band with Peter Moore on stage at E3 at the Microsoft Press event, uh, you know, which was it was like a I don't know, there was probably a few thousand people there. It was a big amphitheater and. And with all the accoutrements, there was a green room and PA and you know monitors and so forth. And all the hardware was like totally cobbled together. It was like all like early prototype stuff that was highly flaky, barely worked. And I remember backstage, you know, it's like it was time for us to go. We did the rehearsal. And it was time for us to go on. And I totally reverted into like stage mode where I had all these, you know. Uh, uh, little mannerisms, like you know, little ticks, like uh, like Nomar used to like check his like gloves like eight times every time he went up to bat, because I like have to go to the bathroom and I have to wash my hands and you know I had to do all these things, you know, and to get all the things out of my pockets, and I like just kicked into like autopilot. It was like, you know, everything came out of the pockets. Where do I put all my stuff? You know, and I just did my pre-stage routine. I was like, well, wait, I'm playing a plastic guitar at a trade show. But it didn't matter. It was exactly the same experience, you know. And then what came out of that was the term to Peter Moore. Yeah, that's right. Because he like, you know, through no fault of his own, really, just he, I hit the pause button, I guess, or 
I think yeah, that's what it, happened. It was either he hit the pause or the guide button or something. Yeah. Mid <laughs> mid song. Yeah, yeah, and the whole thing shut down. Which yeah. at this point I think happens every year at, at Microsoft's E3 event. <laughs> I mean, it happened last year I think with Call of Duty, and I think it's to be expected now. Right. Something. <laughs> we something set the goes trend. Wrong. <laughs> that's pretty good. What, were you there for the uh, the famous uh, Who show? I was there for the Who show, and that was pretty great. Yeah, that was a good show. First was, time they'd done a theater gig in like 30 or 40 years or something, right? Yeah, and I think I, the, the impression I got like as the show progressed is like it was kind of a money gig for them. You know, I think they were well paid to do that show. And, you know, a few songs in, they realized that it was like a, like a legit show, that the audience was into it. You know, it wasn't like a corporate gig that, like, that was a, you know, rock and roll show. And then they delivered. It was great. Yeah, they're only supposed to play, like, a pretty short set, right? And they end up doing a full set. Yeah, they, you know, they basically did, a, like, a complete Who concert, you know, and uh, engaged with the audience. And, you know, so it, was, it was very special. It was really, really fun. <laughs> what did you think of... Uh I know uh, the outspoken uh, Pete uh, Townsend had had something to say about our guitar design, our fenders. Do you remember? I think he's. Oh, I think what his comment was that the the color, the button colors were ugly. That you know he didn't approve of the button colors. So that's his prerogative. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you so throughout the development of any of the rock band games, including the Beatles rock band? Um, can you recall any any stories during the development time that that might be interesting to people? Like, I just from day to day being here, there's always something interesting in making our games mm -hmm. that people never end up knowing. But it but it's like sometimes sometimes it can be like a major design change. Sometimes it can be like a major bug that could have could have crashed everything and. I don't know if you had any if you have any recollections there. I'm trying to th trying to think of I can try to just like rattle off a few things and you know. Sure. Uh, I remember this kind of like slightly entertaining aspect. This was actually all the way to Rock Band three, where uh, the art team had been done pretty much every every last rock and roll item of clothing that they could possibly think of, which you know, was with a, this deep catalog of hats and jeans and shirts and all the, you know, including like totally outlandish things. And so they approached me um, and Daniel, uh, who's project director on that title, and said, okay, can we start to move into sort of like the select, but, but the, the thing, uh, one of the guiding principles of the art direction of the game up to that point was like that it had to be pretty authentic rock and roll, like that anything you'd see on the stage in terms of clothing or whatever was realistic. And, uh, and so they kind of showed up, the art team said, well, can we break that rule now? It's Rock Band 3, can we start to go in a weirder direction? And so we had a little meeting, and so we were like, well, what, what, do, you, what do you have in mind? And so they had two proposals, they said, well, we'd like to do a robot arm. Um, and they showed the, you know, the arm, the, the prototype of the arm, and it was like pretty cool. And then the other thing that they proposed was goat legs, like satanic goat legs. And... Uh, it was like Ryan and me, and I think Daniel, and uh, and Paul, Paul Lyons, who was like championing these things. And for what I, for whatever like convoluted like reasoning, I was like, uh, okay, yes to the robot arm and no to the goat legs. To which his response was, robot goat legs. <laughs> Could would th would that work? <laughs> oh my God. That's uh, amazing. So that is a good story. <laughs> See, you were able to come up with one right off the bat. 
Do you have any others? Oh, uh, let me see if I get anything else. Yeah, so this might, uh, like, so sure, here's here's a Beatles one, which may or may not make the cut, but like, certainly struck me at the time, was an really interesting thing, was, um, uh, you know, one of the things that was the most difficult about that is like, we had to engage with the Beatles, um, and who were not, you know, this was like a big step for them. They weren't in the habit of licensing their IP to really very many people at all, let alone a video game company. And we had to do a lot of work to convince them that we were going to do justice to the Beatles. Uh, and it was really at the, at the to, to animate, to properly model and animate the Beatles in a way that, you know, worked in the game but was also, um, you know, true to them in some sense was really at the limit of our artistic and technical abilities. It was a very difficult challenge. And there, I remember there was a day where um, like Yoko came to visit to, cause she, she had to sign off on John's likeness and basically how we treated John and so forth. And you know, and kind of her reputation precedes her. She, you know, she, um, let's see, what could you say about Yoko? Um, you know, that she seemed like kind of a fierce person, I guess. And, and so we were pretty apprehensive and she came in and she was uh, very blunt, you know, in point of fact, the version of John that we had at that point was not that great. You know, he, he had posture issues, it was animation issues, it was, you know, he wasn't really in shape to ship. And, uh, and she was pretty blunt about all the things that were wrong with John, which was like, I think, you know, emotionally difficult for the team to take, but it was totally fair. Like everything she had to say was, fair. It was all like very well considered feedback and incredibly valuable. And so then we went and fixed all those problems and then she looked at it again and she was happy. And so that was pretty satisfying. You know, I was not directly involved with it. I was sort of watching from afar, but but like pretty satisfying to watch, you know, just the team step up on the in this very challenging assignment, you know, working with this iconic personality, you know, who like really didn't pull any punches. But, but had you know, but but really gave us terrific feedback that we were able to use to like do a good job, which I think I think, I think we did do a good job. I think it came out great, and I, you know, really proud of it. Cool. Um, so I have to ask, you have worked on a number of what I consider landmark games for gaming, not just at Harmonix and your previous work at Looking Glass as well, and System Shock and um, Thief and all those. Mm -hmm. Do you so at this point? You're, you're, seasoned, you're seasoned, seasoned veteran. Um, I guess so. <laughs> so through, through all these successful titles that you've worked on, do you have, have you been able to pinpoint what makes a game, not talking about financially successful, but what makes a great game? Oh. Like, is there an essence that you're able to... to... I would say, that, like, well... <laughs> Well, so so two things like spring to mind. Like one is like Alex has this poster in his office, which I love, uh, which is this this uh, rip off of of the old English. Apparently, there was these posters during the war in England, which um, apparently then it was never up. It came out after the war, but anyway, they said keep calm and carry on. Right, that there were these little uh, like colored posters that they had designed to keep the populace, you know. Uh, in you know to try to boost the, the English people's morale while they were being bombed and so forth. And now I guess there's a whole cottage industry of people like 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 mutate those. And Alex says, get excited and make things. And 
in any of the like the really successful game teams that I've been on, there's this, been this sense which like I you continue to think of like is the most important thing that you know that, that I do here or that anybody does here is like just to be excited about like making something, which is that same. Uh, you know that same impulse to like when you're like nine years old and you're making a fort in your backyard and it's like yes we're gonna make a fort and when we do it it's gonna be awesome you know and I still feel like that every day about that it's like every game that we work on that's you know that's healthy and successful it's because the people on it are like yeah like they can't wait to play the game that they're making you know awesome. um, so so that would be the one thing is just like having that just like you know just like showing up every day Wanting desperately to build something that'll be just like really fun to play, and and then and then not putting up with something that's not good enough, right? That's like if it's deficient, like continuing just to work and work and work on it until you run out of time and money. At which point you got to push it out the door. But really trying hard, which I think is something that we do really well. That people here like really care about making, like doing the best they can to make it really good. You know, as hard as that can be. Um, and the other thing that. Uh, you know, seems important to me is uh, something I learned from this guy Doug Church, who was at at, at Looking Glass, um, and you know who I learned a lot from, was this like try intuit this intuitive thing of just always trying to put yourself in the player's shoes. So if you're designing a game, it's like you're always always thinking about like I'm the player. What's happening to me now? I'm the oh I'm oh I'm having fun. I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. Oh, there's a challenge. I understand this. I don't understand that. You know, uh, which. It took me a long time, like a lot of the, it took me a long time to, to learn that. A lot of my early sort of naive attempts at game development was like, oh, I'll think of a big set piece and it'll be awesome and I think it's awesome, you know, without really thinking about what it would be to encounter it. And, and that's like the, the, you know, when I see like, you know, younger people, um, you, you know, that have like even like really great ideas, like that's a thing that seems like it takes time to figure out. It's like the not obvious thing that you can think of something like really cool, but it ends up being sort of unplayable because it's you know because I think the game, like the game experience is all. It's like you encounter something new, and then in moment to moment you're sort of discovering it, and you're walking this line between, um, you know, accomplishing something that's challenging. And you want it to be challenging, but but you want people, if they fail at it, to immediately think, "Oh, I could have done that, and I'm going to do it again because I know I can do it." It's just because I just learned the little thing I needed to learn to go back and have a success at it, you know. So people are always like surfing that line between success and failure, you know, and that and that the sort of that's the essence of great game design. Um, it, that it's really, it, it, but. For you to do that well, you have to always put yourself like in the head of the guy playing the game, you know, as you think about it, and that's what gives you the insights you need to make good games. Cool, great answer. Um, so we'll start wrapping up. Um, so you've worked a lot with Alex and Iran over the years. Have you have you seen any change in them since the the, the launch of Rock Band and its subsequent success? Oh, since the launch of Rock Band? Of course, or just over your uh, tenure here. I've been here so long, you know. It's like the thing is, this was a very young company when I showed up. Um, uh, I, th 
I think well, the thing that strikes me, like thinking about that, is just like like um, like we've all sort of grown together in a way. But but I'm like older than those guys by about a decade, you know. So I was already in my mid 30s when I showed up, and they were in their mid 20s, and it was really astonishing to watch them both in their own separate ways evolve into like complete badasses, you know, in terms of of just becoming these like just monsters of both business development and game development. Uh, which was just, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a great ride. Cool. Um, <clears throat> so here's some s rock band specific stuff. Have you, being a musician, I'm sure you're you have you're very opinionated about music and what music you like and, and such. But do you have any band or genre that you've gained an appreciate appreciation for because of rock band, because of playing rock band that you otherwise maybe wouldn't have? Uh, well, so I guess my answer to that would be the thing that. Um, I think this has happened to a lot of people. It certainly happened to me. Is is I, I've gained a, a lot of appreciation into musical parts, where like you you listen to something, you listen to some I don't know. It could be like you know, like Fallout Boy or something, some you know random song by some random band, and then you play the drum part. And you're like, oh, this is really interesting. It's like somebody put a lot of inventiveness and work into the you know it, it, like the craft of this specific part, and how they vary. Like. Um, like so, for, uh, here's a good example: is playing like the Keith Moon parts in Who songs. You listen to the Who, and you're like, "Yeah, the drums are kind of flamboyant, you know, well, whatever, you know." It's and then you play the part, and you're like, "Oh my God, every bar is different. Like it's, it's just through composed end to end. Every single bar is different. Wow, that's amazing. Like that, I w did not really know. Uh, and then the other obvious example is all the Paul McCartney bass lines from the Beatles. It's like ridiculous. Uh, that you know all the just melodic invention and the little permutations and just the, you know, just the, the, the compositional power, you know, of what he was able to come up with, you know, they're just so much better than, <laughs> you, you know, obviously he's Paul McCartney, so, you know, he's like, you know, it's not like anybody needs to me to explain to them that Paul McCartney's good or anything, but it's just a personal revelation to play those bass lines and realize just like how amazing they are. Yeah, I think that was for a lot of people. I think, I don't know if it was an interview or or whether it was someone here that talked to him, but wasn't there a story where someone actually brought that point up to him that people are now like actually really gaining an appreciation for his bass lines and he thought that was really cool? Did you ever hear that? I, I don't know if I actually did hear that. Oh, yeah. I hope it's true, because, you know, I mean, I, you know, because I, that would be a nice outcome, you know, because I think that's probably true for people who are paying attention. It's like, you know, so, so that to me is the, the thing, uh, it, not so much for like specific bands. I think, uh, well, the other thing that happened to me and I think a lot of people is, uh, you know, we would choose these, the, these soundtracks for the discs very carefully and try to spread them across different genres and eras and so forth. And there would always be a few things on there that like I wasn't really familiar with. And then you'd, uh, you know, you get immersed in them and realize that they're amazing, you know. Um, and that was, one of the, that was one of my favorite things about Rock Band, actually, which I think people started to figure out over the years is it's not, like early on people, were, like, you know, the kind of thoughtful fans were like, oh, I like this one because it's got like a lot of songs I like and then a few songs that maybe I don't care about. And then in later years, people would be more like, no, I'm really looking forward to the whole thing because all the songs that I didn't know, I now love. Like people started to view it as a vehicle for them to learn about new music, which was, you know, super satisfying for us. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite moment playing rock band or seeing people play rock band? I am pretty fond of the big rock ending because that was this thing I think was all the way back 
to Guitar Hero. Like I wanted to jam that into Guitar Hero and there was no, it didn't fit and there was no space and so forth. But I remember like advocating very early on. It's like, and at the end, it's like everyone should just like hit all the instruments together. And like, if we all hit the, the, the last note at the same time, we should get a big bonus. Like that just seemed like a great thing. Uh, and then sure enough, you know, it's like it took us a while to get it like figured out I guess, how to do it visually and so forth. But uh, that still remains to me like, you know, the coolest thing. Yeah. So anyway, I, I feel like a little pride of ownership of that feature because it just seemed like such a like a rock thing and the kind of thing that would pull a band together, you know, like a live performance, you know, thing. And then you know, it took a, a, quite a while to actually work it all out, and it ended up being great. Oh, the other thing that worked out great <laughs> that I think was I think it, Eric Brocious came up with this. This is my recollection, but is that hey, if you're doing really well, people should sing along. And that was actually a lot of work, right? We had to like go to a studio and you know have you know like tons of overdubs and so forth. And sure enough, it's like when those moments in the game, I love those moments, you know, where suddenly the audience sings along. It emotionally is you know really works for me. Yeah, uh, Fish, I'm done with my questions. Do you have any extras that I might have missed or that you want to ask? I was just curious. You were here from the beginning. What was it like as Rock Band was ramping up, really building that team of all these people, this was like their first job out of school and just willing to work out of their enthusiasm, whether they were testing or they were young artists or producing, what was it like to kind of, you know, have your pick at all these talented young people to help push this new kind of game out the door? Oh, I... I know you were, you were a big part of that, not necessarily this one and this one. I was, you know, to, to the honest answer is I was pretty decoupled from that because, like, in terms of recruiting those people and dealing with them, it was like Ryan and, you know, and 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 uh, you know Eric Malafieu and you know, like all the, cause we were already big enough at that point so that, like, all that energy was happening at the departmental level. I do remember it was like very much this thing. Like in retrospect, it seems astonishing that we pulled it off, you know, because we really did this thing where we went from making games of, you know, about this size to making a game of like. That, you know was way bigger uh, in all these different respects um, and and how hard that was I remember uh, like I, that was like I think as close as we've come at harmonics to a death march like that like the rock band one was harsh you know getting it done on time was not easy and the other thing I remember was and because EA was distributing it and so they were pretty involved you know and and I and they had placed a pretty big bet on it and they were very concerned that it like ship on time and there was this whole and we were like I think our QA was very good um, and very tightly integrated with development and we had this uh, this dynamic where they had sent senior producers here pretty late you know it was like you know in, well into beta and they had all these charts about like oh here's your bug count and here's your projected trajectory and you're not shipping until next February you know, it's like you're not going to make your dates. It's like it's you know, it's not going to happen. We're like, no, no, it's good. Trust us, it'll be fine. They're like, you know, but the charts that clearly state that you're not going to do it, and and we and we did right. It's like at some point, it's like we rallied and our bug count just fell off a cliff. It just like trended like down incredibly steeply. And we wrapped the thing, we buttoned it up and shipped it, and it was like actually good software. It was pretty bug free, and it, you know. Um, it was, um, you know, it was, it was it was quite a thing to to watch this whole company just like rally under enormous pressure and just like like just work miracles, just pull it together at the last minute. So that was fun. 
you know, and then go back to them and say, you see? You know, and then they didn't bother us after that. <laughs> so that was kind of fun.